Welcome to the October 11th sermon from Clifford Baptist Church, 635 Fletcher's Level Road in Amherst. Today's scripture is John chapter 6, verses 1 through 15, and the sermon is entitled, The Miracle of a Little Bit, delivered today by Pastor Michael Fitzgerald. We are going to continue on in a study through the Gospel of John. Take your Bible with me. Turn to the sixth chapter of the Gospel of John. We are, of course, going one step further in a study through. If you're joining us today by streaming and you're just getting started with us, uh, we are walking through the entirety of the Gospel of John, uh, and you're picking up at a great spot uh, as we're talking about an account of Jesus' life that is so very important. Uh, We are looking through this Gospel. We're allowing the Lord to speak to us and grow us through it. I want to remind you a fact of the Bible, and all of us know this. There are four biographies of Jesus in your New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Four biographies of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. It is extremely interesting to me how God gives us the account of Jesus' life Most of the time, someone who has an important life, a biography is written about that person, and one biography stands, one biography will do. And yet, God gives four accounts of His Son in the Bible. Uh, It's obvious that every writer is describing the same person, describing Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Savior. Each man is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and yet, As we look at the four accounts of Jesus' life, the same man, the same spirit, yet we see each gospel writer portraying Jesus from his own viewpoint, from his own background, from his own need. And so while we see four biographies, four accounts of the life of Jesus, yet they stand on their own. They stand on their own turf because each one of them has a specific direction that they're looking at Jesus from the direction of the writer's emotions and his viewpoint and his background. Of course, Luke writes of Jesus, and Luke is the only Gentile writer in the whole Bible. He wrote Luke and Acts, and yet we know that Luke looks at Jesus with different eyes because he's looking from a Gentile background. So it is true, each of the writers have their own uh, direction that they're writing about Jesus. Different viewpoints emphasizing different things about his life. So as we put these four Gospels together, God gives us a fuller picture of who his son Jesus is as you read all four of them. Now today we're going to study one solitary miracle of Jesus Christ that is in all four Gospels. There's only one miracle that's contained in all four Gospels. And it is the feeding of the 5,000 as we see it uh, in each one of the four. Now, as we look at this miracle in the framework of the four Gospels, I want us to kind of meld the Gospels together so we can get a full picture of what's going on as Jesus feeds these 5,000 men. According to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus is now in the full swing of his ministry. He is popular. People are following him. People are hanging on his every word. Where he goes, people show up. Where he and his disciples are ministering, people are healed. Where they go, the Word of God is spoken. In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 14, before Jesus fed the 5,000 in Matthew's Gospel, he had already preached the Sermon on the Mount. Many people heard it. In Mark's Gospel, we see the 5,000 fed in chapter 6, and yet Jesus had already preached to many, many people. And in fact, 
He had gotten into that boat going out on the Sea of Galilee as the multitudes gathered on the seashore. Jesus preached to them, spoke to them, taught them the truth of God. He'd already done that in Mark's gospel before he fed the 5,000. In Luke's gospel, we find the feeding of the 5,000 in chapter 9. Before Jesus fed the 5,000 in Luke's gospel, Jesus had already raised Jairus' daughter from the dead. So believe me, if any miracle attracted people to Jesus Christ as God, raising the dead brought multitudes in. So we see that Jesus' ministry is growing and people are following him, and people are hanging on his words. Wherever Jesus went, multitudes followed. Now, they were different people. Some of them followed him in sheer faith, wanting to hear the next word of truth, knowing that it's coming from the mouth of God. Some followed him simply because they were curious, trying to figure out this man and who he is. Some followed simply because they wanted to see the next trick of a miracle. And some followed him simply because they hated him and were trying to form a case as to how they could kill him and rid the world of him. So various people followed him with various mindsets and attitudes, but multitudes gathered for Christ. Nonetheless, these large crowds of all sorts of people trek behind Christ or go in front of Christ of his every move. In fact, Jesus became very tired of all of this outreach, all of these needs, meeting all the needs of all the multitudes who are following him. Remember, he is the Son of God. He is 100% God, but also remember this. He is also 100% human, 100% man, the Son of Man. And so Jesus, as it tells us in the Bible, felt every infirmity, everything we feel Jesus has felt. He got tired. He never got tired of ministry but he got tired in ministry. As all of these people followed him, as the multitudes stayed on his heels, he was constantly giving out, constantly giving away, and his disciples with him also were constantly in ministry. It's not sin to be tired in ministry. If you're a human being, that's going to happen. But we know that Jesus needed to rest like all of us need to rest. But there were so many people with so many needs following him every step that he went. In fact, in Mark's gospel, chapter 6, we see the setup as to why the 5,000 gathered to hear Jesus, why the 5,000 came prior to the feeding of the 5,000. So if you want to write this reference down, it's Mark chapter 6, verses 30 through 33. Here's the setup. Here's how this crowd of 5,000 come to be, 5,000 men with an unspecified number of children and women. So, Mark chapter 6, begin with verse 30. And the apostles gathered themselves together unto Jesus and told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. And he said unto them, Come ye yourselves apart into a desert place and rest a while. That's what I want you to see. I want you to see that word rest in the middle of Mark's gospel. You need rest, men. I need rest as well. Rest a while. For there were many coming and going, and they had no leisure so much as to eat. And they departed into a desert place by ship privately. And the people saw them departing, and many knew him, and ran afoot thither out of all cities, and outwent them, and came together unto him. So Jesus was actually gathering his disciples to get away. 
to go to a place in the desert to rest, to have a retreat, to enjoy a little fellowship together, as he and the disciples just needed to back away and get away for a little bit and rest and and get their mental faculties back in order. They had been super busy. And yet the people followed them to this desert setting. And all of these people came together as an impromptu congregation, a congregation that just developed because they followed Jesus where he was going. And it says that Jesus was moved with compassion for them. He saw them as sheep without a shepherd. In other words, people who were not saved. And rather than rest, and rather than take his disciples and and run and hide and get behind a rock somewhere so they could rest and retreat from this crowd, he lays aside his rest, and he lays aside the rest of his disciples, and he's moved with compassion to teach them, minister to them, give them the word of God and the call of God. He's moved so that he is to reach out to them. So he reaches to them, he teaches them, he heals many. And after the teaching is done, after the word of God is delivered, the the evening is coming and the shadows are falling. And Jesus has thousands of hungry people beside him and before him in this desert place. And in this desert setting, there was no food that was readily available. What were they to do? Jesus had fed the hunger of their souls. Jesus had taken care of many physical healings. But now what about the hunger of their bodies? What would he do about that? That's where we pick up Scripture today in the Gospel of John. Turn with me to John chapter 6. We're going to look at verses 1 through 15. Hear these words from the Word of God. John 6, verse 1. After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great multitude followed him, because they saw his miracles, which he did on them that were diseased. And Jesus went up into a mountain, and there he sat with his disciples, and the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was nigh. When Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw a great company come unto him, he saith unto Philip, Whence shall we buy bread that these may eat? And this he said to prove him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may take a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, saith unto him, There is a lad here which hath five barley loaves and two small fishes, but what are they among so many? And Jesus said, Make the men sit down. And there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in number about 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves... And when he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples and the disciples to them that were set down, and likewise of the fishes, as much as they would. When they were filled, he said unto his disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. Therefore they gathered them together and filled twelve baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves, which remained over and above unto them that had eaten. Then those men... When they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, said, This is of a truth, that prophet that should come into the world. When Jesus therefore perceived that they would come and take him by force to make him a king, he departed again into a mountain himself 
alone. May God add his blessing to the reading of these verses of his precious word. So John says, the gospel writer John, as an old man writing this gospel, he says, Jesus took his disciples into a boat and sailed across the Sea of Galilee. This is a personal remembrance of John, inspired by God, but John remembered it well. He was one of them in the boat. And he said, we were going for rest and for fellowship. Well, at the widest point, the Sea of Galilee is over eight miles wide. John also specifies it's not only called the Sea of Galilee, it is also called the Sea of Tiberias. In another place, in Luke's gospel, it's called Gennesaret. So there are several names for the Sea of Galilee in the Bible. But Jesus and his disciples set off for the other side, sailing to get to a quiet place, moving across the Sea of Galilee to get to a place of retreat and rest and quietness and peace. But as they sail off, there were people who spotted the boat and spotted the Christ and saw his disciples knowing that they were sailing across and roughly determined where they were going to land on the other side. And as they landed in that place and as they came to a mountainous desert area, Jesus and disciples, disciples look out and they see multitudes who have gathered there, who have followed them. They saw them sail off and they go by foot around the Sea of Galilee and they arrive before the boat does. And so when Jesus and his disciples go to the mountain, they see the multitude who have gathered as that impromptu congregation to hear what Jesus would say. And Jesus teaches them the word of God. And according to Matthew's gospel and Mark's gospel, he also heals many of their physical diseases. So after the teaching is done, after the word of God is done, and I am sure that as Jesus taught the word of God to these people who he called sheep without a shepherd, there were many of them who were saved by the truth of Jesus Christ. I believe there was a large contingent in that group of 5,000 plus who were saved by the word of God. But after he had fed their souls and after he had healed diseases, he came to the point to say, how will we feed their bodies? How will we feed their hunger? Now, Jesus had a plan for that. You see in Scripture, Jesus already knew how that was going to be accomplished. But he uses this in John's gospel as a teaching moment to build the faith and the trust and the forward thinking of his disciples. You know, a lot of us, maybe all of us in some ways, we think inside our own little box as to how God is going to act, how God is going to accomplish his will. And sometimes we just have to take the top off of the box and let God be God. Amen? We don't know how he's going to do it. We don't know how he's going to accomplish it. We just know God is God and he will do what God will do. And he will do it miraculously as he chooses. So Jesus wants to teach his disciples to get the top off the box and think like God would think. So he puts them to a test here. As he uses this teaching moment to build the faith of the disciples, look at John 6, verses 5 and 6. When Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw a great company come unto him, he saith unto Philip, Whence shall we buy bread that these may eat? And this he said to prove him, for he himself knew what he would do. All right, Jesus has a plan. And he's testing his disciples, beginning with Philip, 
asking Philip, how could we feed this multitude of people? 5,000 men plus women and children. How shall we do that? And as we look at this moment, if you will look in all four Gospels, you will see four solutions offered as to how the crowd is going to get fed. The first solution is not in the Gospel of John. Solution number one is in Matthew 14, Mark 6, Luke chapter 9. Here's the first solution. All of the disciples get their heads together, and they have a committee meeting, and they say, how can we feed 5,000? And they lift their heads and say, okay, Jesus, we've got a solution. Jesus says, what is it? They said, send them away. We can't feed this bunch of people. We don't have that kind of food. We can't do it. Send them out. Let them go to the towns themselves. Let them feed themselves. Solution number one was not the right solution. Now, we pick up with Philip here in John's gospel with solution number two. He, it comes from Philip. Look at verse 7. Philip answered him, 200 penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them that every one of them may take a little. So Philip said, well, we could try to raise a little money, go into the nearest town and buy food, but it's going to take 200 penny worth of money to buy that much bread to feed this crowd. Basically what he's saying is it's going to take 200 days worth of labor and pay for that labor to buy bread for this crowd. So basically what Philip is saying is, it's going to take that much money. We don't have that much among us. We cannot gather it up so it cannot be done, Lord. Solution number two was not the solution. Solution number three came from Andrew. You know Andrew, good old Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Andrew, the man with a good heart, the man who had met Jesus as Savior, and the first thing he did was go to get his brother. Andrew loved people. Andrew loved relationship. Andrew was one of those dependable disciples. But Andrew has befriended a little boy in this great congregation of people. The Bible calls him a lad, probably under 12 years old. And he had discovered, Andrew discovered, that this little boy had a mama who had more foresight than everybody else in this crowd because Mama had packed his supper. Five little single-serving barley cakes and two little fish. This little boy, out of all that crowd, had brought his supper. My father always said, never go anywhere that you don't take food with you. Well, that's exactly what this little boy did. And while Andrew says, here is available food, this little boy, this lad, is willing to entrust his supper to me, to you, Lord. He's willing to give up everything that he has to give it to you. But, but really, then he throws on the wet blanket. What is that among so many? Five little single-serving cakes, two little fish. What is that when we look at this crowd of 5,000 men plus women and children? What's that? That's a drop in the bucket to feed a crowd like this. So Andrew, his faith springs up, then it backs off. Here's, here's an offering, but it ain't enough. So solution number three really doesn't work very well. He simply says, we have food, but it's not feasible. won't work. Solution number four, this is Jesus' solution. This is the, the solution that Jesus knew would come about before he ever started teaching his disciples. He said, make the men sit down. Now, I want you to picture this in your mind now. It says it was a grassy place. 
mountainous desert, but a grassy area. And all of these 5,000 men sit down. And in sheer conjecture, let's just say there were 2,000 more women and children with the 5,000 men in this multitude. John MacArthur actually says in his commentary, there could have been as many as 20,000 in this gathering of people. Well, you know, when, when we have a church picnic, I sit down with the calculator and I start adding up the hamburgers and the hot dogs and how many people are going to bring a casserole and how many people are going to bring a salad. And, and I, I stress out over feeding two to 300 people who show up for a picnic. Can you imagine how I would stress at this crowd in front of me? But Jesus has the solution. Someone had figured up that 7,000 hungry men, women, and children, if you seated them in one area, would take about two and a half acres shoulder to shoulder, to seat that many people. If John MacArthur's estimate is anywhere close to being true, 20,000 people would take about six acres to seat shoulder to shoulder on the ground. But here is the key to this whole account of Jesus' life. Five barley cakes and two little fish, less than a can of sardines, feeding a crowd of more than 5,000, pretty overwhelming. But the key is this, and don't miss it. Jesus took a little bit, and by God's power, he made it sufficient. If you take notes, write that down. Jesus took a little bit, and by God's power, he made it entirely sufficient. We need to hear that, know that, because God is the same God today. Jesus is the same Jesus today as he was 2,000 years ago. He can take a little bit, give it in faith, and it will become sufficient. John chapter 6, verse 11 says that he took that single serving of food, and the first thing he did was he gave God thanks for it. He didn't commence to a bringing forth a miracle, but rather, first of all, he gave God thanks for it. In fact, in Matthew 14, Mark chapter 6, Luke chapter 9, in their account of the feeding of the 5,000, it says that he looks heavenward and he gives God thanks. You remember another account when he stood outside of Lazarus' tomb. He looked heavenward, thanking God for the miracle that was coming before he raised Lazarus from the dead. Before a miracle took place, Jesus thanked God for what was coming. So the miracle, and the heart of the miracle is right here. And here's the center point, that God can take a little offering that is given in sheer faith, and he can increase it exponentially to be what he knows it needs to be. He can take something that's small, and by his grace, if it's given in faith, he can make it what it needs to be, in sufficiency. The character and the compassion and the plan of God has not changed. It's exactly today what it was then. And I want you to understand this. As we apply what we're seeing here, it applies to a little country church sitting out in a little community that nobody knows where we are. But if God sees fit to take our little congregation and to touch an entire world with our congregation, if he sees fit to do that, if we will come to him in sheer faith and surrender and lay ourselves before him and say, Lord, use us however you see fit, it will be accomplished. It will be done because God Almighty is in control, not us. We give the little bit, He makes it sufficient. We give the little bit of our faith, He makes it sufficient to touch a world. 
That's the character of our God. We see it in this account. We hear it. We know it's true continuing to today. The character, the compassion, and the love of God. You know it applies to the way we give a material offering to the Lord. When we tithe in faith, God will multiply it to meet every need out there coming our way. We have to give in faith. We have to give according to the Word of God. We have to give in faith and obedience. And God can multiply what we give to touch the world. I told the early group this morning, I got an email from one of the candidates who's running in the upcoming election. And this candidate said, if you will send me money, I will increase your gift to me by 850%. I have people who will underwrite your gift so that if you give $50, it turns into like $475. All you have to do is send me your gift, and I'll increase it by 850%. I just finished studying this. I went, that's nothing. 850% to God is nothing. Nothing. God can take whatever he wants, and he can increase it to wherever he wants it to be. God can take our few pennies of an offering here and he can cover the world in missions if he so sees fit. And we can support missionaries and food ministries and outreach to the world with the few pennies we give if we will give them in faith and in surrender and say, Lord God, take what we give you. Take our little bit and make it sufficient. He will. That's his promise if we give in faith and surrender. It applies to how we give our time and our talent. Every one of us, as believers in the Lord Jesus, has at least one talent to give to the Lord. I believe most of us have many more than one talent. But all of us are unique. All of us are special. But if we will give our talents and our time, I know we're busy people and you have families and jobs and workplaces and classrooms and everything where you need to be. But if we will take our windows of time and say, Lord God, here's the time I want to give to the ministry of my church. Here are the talents that you've given me. I want to entrust them to your ministry. God can take our little bit and he can make us sufficient as ministers of Jesus Christ. Every one of us. He can increase the ministry of this church if all of us will in faith surrender to him. He can take the ministry of this church and he can make it what he wants it to be. He can increase us exponentially because he is God. And he can do what he wants to with his people. Now let me add this about feeding the 5,000. Something important. Some theologians across the years, maybe some of you have read this, some theologians across the years have said that actually what Jesus did was he used the psychology of sharing. In other words, he sat all the 5,000 men and all the women and all the children down, and he held up this little bag of food, five barley cakes and two little fish, and he said, a little boy has entrusted his food, his little brown bag, here's his food, and everybody else pulls out their brown bags and starts sharing their food, and everybody gets fed because everybody gives. That is a sweet thought, but it is bad theology. That is not what the Scripture says. At all. It's written here, I believe, that this little boy produced the entirety of the food for that crowd that day. Jesus took that tiny offering and he miraculously multiplied it to feed thousands. The text tells us so. Look at John 6, verses 12 and 13. And when they were filled, he said unto his disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. 
Therefore they gathered them together, listen, and filled 12 baskets with the fragments of the five barley cakes. That little lunch right there, which remained over and above unto them that had eaten. So after all had eaten their fill, these thousands of people had eaten, there were 12 baskets of food left over. The word for basket here in Greek is kofinas, and it's not a laundry basket. It's a little wicker basket that holds a serving of food for your lunch or your supper. So isn't it amazing that Jesus took this little offering, he fed thousands of people, and the only leftover was 12 baskets. Some theologians believe that that was the lunch or the supper for the disciples who delivered all that food. But when Jesus creates a miracle, there will be no overage. There will be no loss to that miracle. He's going to use everything of the miracle to bring lives to him and touch lives for him. I want you to take note that Jesus never lets a blessing go to waste. Look at the last part of verse 12 again. These are the words in red, Jesus' words. Gather up the fragments that remain that nothing be lost. Everything is going to be used somehow in a miracle of Christ. John chapter 6, verse 15 tells us that people were so overwhelmed by this miracle, they wanted to make him an earthly king. They wanted to hoist him up on their shoulders and carry him out of that uh, desert place and proclaim him as a king. And, of course, we know that that was not Jesus' purpose. It was not his calling whatsoever. And so he retreats from them. He leaves that area so they cannot lift him up and make him some sort of earthly king. That was not his call. He came as the king of heaven. Now, let's put this miracle on our, in our modern day as we come down to a close. We know the character of God has not changed. From the biblical word... From the beginning of Genesis to the end of Revelation, what you see as the character of God has not changed to this day. Amen? It is the same God with the same promises and the same character, the same authority, the same power. That's our God. We read about Him here, but He is exactly the same this day. And we know God can still take a little bit and he can make it more than sufficient. But I want you to remember this. In every offering we give, whether it's an offering of our money, an offering of our time and our talent, whatever offering we give him, listen, it has to be our all. It has to be the best we can give him. God does not, listen, God does not honor leftovers. Can I hear an Amen. God does not honor leftovers. He wants the best we have to give. He wants our all. He does not want a partial offering. God desires and deserves our first fruits, the best we have. He deserves the best, and He deserves full surrender. Spiritually and materially, He deserves our best. God does not work on the pittance principle. I'll throw in a dollar. I have thousands of those dollars. I'll take one out of my thousands. I'll throw it in God's plate, and I'll see what God does with my one dollar. I'll keep my thousands, but I'll see what God does with my one. God does not operate on the pittance principle. God cannot create a miracle with an attitude like that. 
We can say, God, I'm going to give, I'm going to give you one hour on a pew. One hour a week, I'm going to give you in worship. The rest of the week, I'm on my own. I'll see you again next Sunday when I come back. That's a pittance of our life. He wants all of us. This is the beginning of the week of service to him. We begin it with worship, but we leave to serve, amen? We leave to give our lives to him. We can't say, God, I'm going to throw you a prayer at supper. That's all the spiritual direction my family, my children are going to get. I'll throw you a prayer at supper. That's a, a pittance of what we can give him in the way that we bring our families to the Lord Jesus Christ. We, we, can't, we can't demand and expect God to take our scraps and produce miracles. He, he doesn't work that way. In fact, one of the unsung heroes of this account of Jesus' life is a little boy who gave his supper away, completely gave it away. You know, he, as, a, as a 10 or 12-year-old boy, he could have clutched it to himself and said, no, Mama made me this supper. You can't have it. But it's obvious that he entrusted it to Andrew and allowed it to be used on in the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. A lot of that miracle came because a little boy gave his whole supper away. God wants total surrender. God deserves the best that we have to give. God deserves some sacrifice from our life. And when God, when God gets our best and when we surrender our all to him, he can take it and he can make miracles of our family. And he can make miracles of our witness. And he can bring about miracles of the ministry of this church because we've surrendered to him. We want to give him our all. If you want to see those miracles, we need to just fall on our knees before our God, maybe at this altar today. And I'm not preaching at you. I, I'm, I'm with you in this. I need to say the same thing, Lord. You deserve the best I have to give. You, you deserve the best I can surrender to you. Give me an attitude of sacrifice. Help me go beyond what's comfortable for me to give you in an attitude of sacrifice. And Lord, you take my little bit and you increase it miraculously that my gift might make a difference in the kingdom of God. How many of us will surrender in that way? This is laying yourself bare before God, saying, God, I'm not going to withhold anything from you now. I'm going to give you what you deserve. How many of us will do that? If you want to see miracles in your church, in your life, in your family, surrender to it. Because he can take a little bit and he can increase it to be sufficient. And today, if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, Jesus did not give a little bit to us. He gave his all. He gave his life. He laid down his life on the old rugged cross for us. There's nothing more that Jesus can give than he gave. He poured out his blood that we might be forgiven. And if you've never received him as your Savior, he's inviting you today. Come to me. I want you as my son. I want you as my daughter. I gave everything I could give to save you, to give you life in heaven and joy and purpose. Will you just come and surrender your heart to me? Will you just give me your life and let me be your Savior? Let me, let me say something that might be a bit shocking, but it's biblical. If today you just come to make a show 
or you just come and say, God, I'm going to give you a little piece of my life, a little pittance from my life. Don't come yet. Because you don't understand what salvation is. All to Jesus I surrender. All to him I freely give. That's what salvation is about. And if you're ready to lay your sin down and stand up as a son or daughter of God, completely belonging to Jesus Christ, you come today. Because he can take you and make a miracle out of you. God bless you. God bless us as we ask him to take our little bit and make it sufficient. Let's pray together. Our Father, our God, thank you for this moment, Lord. Thank you for everyone who is listening today by streaming, by FM signal right here in person. Thank you, Lord, that you're willing to take our lives. You're willing to take us collectively as a church, surrender to you, faithful to you. And you can take our little bit and exponentially increase it to be sufficient to touch a world. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters and myself, Lord, that we surrender all to you. I pray for that one who has never come to you as Savior, Lord, that today he or she will say, all to Jesus I surrender, all to him I freely give. Take away my sin, give me forgiveness, give me heaven, Lord. I will live for you, I will walk with you, and I want to grow to be like you. If there's one who needs a church home, whatever the need, Lord, the need for healing, you're more than sufficient for all of our needs. Bless us in this very important moment, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Clifford Baptist Church invites you to join us for worship every Sunday morning at 11 a.m. For more information about our church, please call our church office at 434-946-0555.